we will sing your praises and we do sing your praises. And now, Father, as we come to your word, father us through your word. Father us through your word. Lift up our brother, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ from your word and draw us deeper into you by drawing us to him and through him into your arms of love. Holy Spirit, come and take this word and apply it to our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we may declare your praises, that we may understand what it is to praise you and to love you and be loved by you. In Jesus' wonderful name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Paul and Grace. And thank you all of you. I want to ask you a question in a moment. First of all, I'm going to bring God's reading. So I'm in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 to 16, and it's on page 75 in your pew Bibles. Page 75 in those pew Bibles. Exodus 17, beginning at verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held his hands up one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar, and he called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Wow. Here's a question. I want to ask you a very simple question, but I need to give you the background. These beautiful flowers speak of a most beautiful wedding and a most beautiful bride yesterday. Becky Brown looked wonderful. Trust me, I stood there. I had a ringside view. Okay? And her husband, Mark, looked very handsome as well. But I can tell you, if there was going to be a, a banner over them, the banner that was over them, in a sense, the name that was over them, the word that was over them was love. It could have been beautiful, because they looked great. It could have been happiness. It could have been joy, because they were full of joy. I haven't seen many brides dance during worship, but Becky did. Typical brown, you can't put them in a box, you know? But the, the word over her was joy, was happiness, was love. And you saw this tangible love between that bride and the groom, between Becky and Mark. And maybe excitement was another banner that you could fly over them because they're excited about their, their wedding. And if you wanted to put a banner over me, maybe it could be forgetfulness because I forgot to give them the wedding card. So I'll give it now to mum to pass on to Mr. and Mrs. Bunger. But here's the question, all that's a background. If you understand the concept, what is the banner that is over you today? I hope it's joy. I hope it's excitement. I hope it's happiness. I hope it's fulfillment. I hope it's security. I hope it's peace, shalom. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's sickness. 
Maybe it's threat, maybe it's challenge, maybe it's sadness, maybe it's discouragement, maybe it's disillusionment, maybe it's grief, maybe it's pain, maybe it's loneliness, maybe it's fear. Well, I've got some good news for you. Because as we're going to see today as we continue in this series and as I unfurl this banner, the banner that should be over anyone that knows and loves God, in a sense, is this banner. And his banner, as we'll see in a moment, over us is love. And his name is a banner of love and power and strength that is over each one of us. So we move on in this series, and uh, if you want to take the little names so you can brush up on your Hebrew and explain this to people on your front line, we're in a series in what's in a name, and we've been looking at the names of God. And we looked in week one at Elohim, God. Week two, Adonai. Master or Lord. Week three, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord who is my shepherd. Week four, Yahweh, the great I am. And in week five, last week, Jehovah Makedeshem, the Lord who makes me holy, the Lord who sanctifies me. Today we come to a new name, the sixth in our series, Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. And as you look behind me, this means the Lord who is my banner. The Lord is my banner. The first mention is here in this text that I've read, Exodus 17 and verse 15. The first mention in Scripture, the Lord is my banner. So let's carry on with our Hebrew lessons because it's great to have a church full of Hebrew scholars. Uh, you're going to see the Hebrew behind me. I'm, I'm not suggesting you can all read it, but you should by now at least recognize Yahweh, because you read from one side to the other, the opposite to the way we read. So the Nisi is the one with just the, two, uh, the three images there, the three letters in the Hebrew. But let's say together, after I've said it, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Are you ready? Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. One more, and on the balcony, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. You're becoming Hebrew scholars, it's great. Let me give you a little bit of background to this text, which is important for us to understand where Moses and the children of God, the Israelites, have come from and where they're going to. There had been for 400 years in slavery in Egypt. God had made sure that Pharaoh let them go and they were delivered through a miracle through the Red Sea. And then they came into very desert, very much desert land as they wandered. And we find here that Moses builds an altar and calls it, the Lord is my banner. Exodus 17, verse 15, you'll see the verse behind me, Moses builds an altar and he calls it, the Lord is my banner. But we need a little bit of background first. The background is this, Moses is leading and the people are grumbling. Moses is leading and the people are grumbling. So let's just have a quick look, if you've got a Bible with you, at chapter 15 of Exodus from verse 22. Moses has come to the waters of Marah and he's about to go to the waters of Elim, but we'll read from the scripture, verse 22, Exodus 15. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur and for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is now called Marah, which means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? He was shown by the Lord a stick of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So the bitter water was sweet. The Lord took something bitter and made it sweet. He's brilliant at doing that, even though his people were grumbling. They keep grumbling, because in the very next chapter, chapter 16, which is about God providing miraculously manna and quail and even bread 
from heaven. That's what manna is, and quill, the meat to eat. We read from verse 1 of chapter 16 this. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim. They'd been there beyond Marrow, which is a place of 12 springs and 70 palms, and beautiful oasis of water. So they had water, and sweet water, and lots of water. Then they come to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. And in the desert, the whole community, here they go again, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They've got a short memory, haven't they? 400 years of oppression, brutality and slavery. But they remember this. There we sat around pots of meat and ate the food, all the food we wanted. But you brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. And if you know the great Welsh hymn, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. It comes from that verse. It comes from the miraculous provision of manna, which you could only take enough of. If you tried to store it up, it went rotten. But it was this wonderful, beautiful, miraculous bread from heaven. If we move on a little bit further to chapter 17, the next chapter, and look from verse 1, it tells us again, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, been fed, they've been watered, they travel from place to place as the Lord commanded, and they camped at Rephidim. This is where they're going to get attacked, of course. But there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses. So they grumbled with him, they've quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water. There they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff. Remember this, it's important. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile when he turned the Nile, one of the miracles, to impress upon Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, turned it to blood, turned it muddy, it was undrinkable. Take that staff with which you struck the Nile. I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people will be able to drink. And that's what happened. So we're seeing Moses leading, we're seeing these amazing miracles of provision but the people are grumbling and quarrelling. Do you know, I'm so glad that I'm a pastor. Because I never have people grumbling or quarrelling. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Listen, it comes with the turf. If you lead in anything, let, let me tell you, you're all leaders, particularly if you're parents, because you lead your children. Do they ever grumble or quarrel? Yeah, even the best ones. It comes with the turf. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're Moses, whether you're a parent, whether you're a boss or a manager, people are going to grumble. It just happens. And do you know what I console myself with? And this is a loving church. I love this church. I seriously don't get a lot of that, to be honest. Feel free not to increase it. That's fine. But I want to tell you that when on, on occasions I have, throughout my ministry of over two decades as a pastor, felt like giving up and asked the Lord, why? Why is it like this? And it's always the relational things, the pain, the criticism, the grumbling. When you're trying to do your best and you're trying to seek God and you're trying to do that in humility with other leaders, when I ask God what the reason is, I look in the mirror, not a pretty sight at six o'clock on a Sunday morning, I can tell you, but I look in the mirror and I see 
a sinner looking back at me because the man in the mirror is Clive. And although Clive is an adopted, loved, forgiven sinner, he still gets stuff wrong. So forgive me when I get it wrong. But there's a lot in this story, as you'll see, about supporting those who are set apart as Moses was, about praying for them. But it's not the only application by any means. We come full uh, face now to chapter 17 from verse 8. And they faced the lack of water, the lack of bread, the lack of meat, the lack of food. They faced the journeying through the desert, but now they face a nation that's called the First Nation. Why? Because it's the first nation to attack them. And before we go any further, in case you think God is unloving and unkind or even warlike and hateful, because he does clearly say they've got to be wiped out. These Amalekites are a type of evil. You will see just how evil these Amalekites are. But they now attack God, and Moses in this story says, I'm going to go upon the hill, Joshua. You are to call some warriors to be with you. You're to go and take the field of battle with the Amalekites to defend us. Take the sword. We will be upon the hill. And Moses was there with Aaron and Hur. And as the battle waned, and as it went the way of the Amalekites, that was a time when Moses' hands were tired. And as he raised his hands high, that was a time when the battle was being won. And we need to understand deeply for our lives what God is saying to us through this revelation. So let me say at the outset, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is my banner, has declared for the first time in Scripture in Exodus 17, 15, Jehovah or Yahweh Nisi is the one who defends us, the one who is over us. He's the one who defends us and the one who is over us. And the important thing that we need to know, I haven't got a, a staff, but maybe I'll take this banner and furl it up, is that you need to know this. When we think of Moses raising his hands, the image behind you helps to understand something really important. It's what he's holding in his hands that matters. Because he's got the staff of God in his hands. That's important. Hold on to that, brothers and sisters. You see, the one who defends us, Jehovah Nisi, is the Lord who is our banner. He defends us, he's over us, he's covering us. So the first question I want to ask from this text is, what, or more importantly, who is the banner here? Who is the banner? Well, let's look at verses 8 and 9 again. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. With the staff of God in my hands. That is so, so important. Let's remember about banners in those days that these banners probably weren't this type of flag. In the armies of those uh, ancient uh, nations and peoples, they're almost certainly something that was gold or silver and, and shining bright that was solid and was on the staff, just like the Romans would have an eagle, for instance, in later years. But it would catch the sun and it would be a glint. And as it was raised up over the warriors, it was to remind them of who they were fighting for, their king, or what they were fighting for. If you fast forward, one of the most famous war pictures ever taken is the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima. You'll have seen it, the American soldiers raising the flag after they've defeated the Japanese. And you'll know that in battle, the colours or the banner is picked up when the, uh, when the one carrying the banner is shot, someone else will pick up the banner and they'll carry it. The banner is the rallying point. 
It's the source and the sense of authority that's over those soldiers in battle. It's the place that people rally to. All of that language is important, but we need to know that in this case, it's the staff of God. And what did this staff of God speak about? It spoke about the presence and the power of God with his people. Let let me try and help us to understand that. If we go to chapter 9 of Exodus, chapter 9 of Exodus, there's a really crucial application to all our lives today, but I want us to build this picture so we get there. And if we go to 22 to 23 of Exodus 9, the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sky so that hail will fall over Egypt. This is one of the miracles. And if you're thinking that God is cruel to want to wipe out the Amalekites, the way he wiped out Pharaoh and and the charioteers as they crossed the Red Sea and the waters closed in, remember this, God is trying to protect his people to protect the one who could come from his people, which is the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. And there's a whole powerful kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, ranged against God and the people of God. We're going to come to some verses in a moment that are behind me and explain that to show how it's relevant to every single one of us. But when he sends this miracle of hail and other miracles of frogs and gnats and flies and all of this kind of thing, what he's trying to do is say, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, don't make me go to the place. These are my children. This is my son and my daughter, Israel. Don't make me go to the place of killing the firstborn. And time after time, God tries to get the attention of Pharaoh. And this time, it's through hail. Raise, stretch out your hand towards the sky that hail will fall over Egypt on men and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky... The Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground, so the Lord rained hail. The Lord got the attention of the Egyptians, but Pharaoh did not relent. Go to chapter 14, and verses 13 to 16, and then we'll look at 26 to 28. In verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, they're on the verge of the Red Sea. They can't go anywhere, the the waters are in front of them. Pharaoh and his charioteers are behind them, but Moses said... Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Do you need to hear that today? Just be still. Because the banner over you is Yahweh Nisi. The banner over you is love. The banner over you is God. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Again, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. They do, but then Pharaoh and the charioteers come after them. Drop down to verse 26 of chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Egyptians into the sea and not one of them survived. You see... The staff is there, whether it talks about the hand of Moses or the staff, the staff is in his hand or his hands, and as he raised it, the people know God is going to act. 
So what or who is the banner here? The banner over them is God himself. What are the roles of Moses and Joshua and Aaron and Hur? What are their roles? The role of Moses is leadership. The role of Joshua and, uh, uh, is to fight as a leader. He's a warrior. He's on the battlefield. Moses is leading, but he's on the hill. Aaron and Hur are holding his arms up, but please remember that in the arms, in the hands of Moses is the staff of God. So yes, I know you've heard, many of you have heard sermons on this and Sunday school talks and the application from the preacher and it's a good and it's a right application. I'm not criticising it. But it's always hold up the hands of your leaders in prayer or hold up your brothers and sisters in prayer or hold up the hands of those missionaries in prayer. Amen, yes. But that's not what this is about. This is about the staff of God. Because in the hands held up is the staff. And therefore this is about the very presence of God. You know, this is about Moses praying. This is about Aaron praying. This is about her praying. This is about Joshua fighting. But this is about Moses showing that God is with them. I want to thank Beth Diamond in her absence for reminding us that we're one team. We're one team. We're one family. And the worst thing that can ever happen to a church family is it tears itself apart. Anyone ever been in a church split? Hurts, doesn't it? And whatever the issues, it doesn't happen over the issues, it happens over people. People that need to look to the God who will find a way through. And now I want to come to these scriptures because when churches split, when churches tear themselves apart, when men and women can no longer contend with each other, they get contentious, but they don't contend for the holy faith, they just get contentious. We tear ourselves apart. We've, we've missed one vital piece of teaching that will come out of this whole text. Not that we have to fight the Amalekites. Oh, that may come. There are people who have been martyred today by the enemies of God because they are the people of God. That may come. But we fail to recognize when we tear ourselves apart that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is with powers and principalities. Go with me, if you will, to the teaching of the great apostle Paul, who says to Christians in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 to 13 that they've got to stand and that they've got to stand firm. He tells them this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Contend for the faith, but don't be contentious. Stand together. Stand as one team. Because there's one banner over you, and it's the Lord who is my banner. Joshua still had to fight, you see. When I go back for a moment to Exodus 17 and read verses 13 to 14, oh, oh he, had to, he had to fight. It says very clearly, Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Now, I don't, I'm not suggesting this text says this, but when I think of the sword, I think of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is what I fight with. My battle's not with people. 
my battles with powers and principalities who seek to, to lead me into disbelieving or not being obedient to what I find in here. And all of us can only be true to what we see interpreted and how we understand it in here. But if we have humility, we'll listen to those who are set apart as Moses is set apart. We'll listen to those who've studied it deeply, who've been set apart, have hands laid on them to preach and teach this. And if they don't preach and teach it right, get rid of them. That includes me. But in everything else, we're one family and we find a way forward. Joshua still had to fight. Listen to these beautiful psalms. Listen to Psalm 20. We will shout for joy when you are victorious. We will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. May I know that the Lord saves his anointed. And he answers him from his holy heaven with saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, Pharaoh did. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And Psalm 60 says this, But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Save us and help us with your right hand. The right hand speaks of the strength and power of God, that those you love may be delivered. You see, these Amalekites didn't fear God. You want to know, if you're still thinking God might be a bit cruel here, listen to what the Amalekites did. Deuteronomy chapter 25 from verse 17. Deuteronomy 25 from verse 17. Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way, you, you Jews, you Israelites, when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. That's the most important thing to hear. The Amalekites had no fear of God. They hated God. They wanted his people destroyed. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So don't forget. They did forget. Saul did not slaughter the Amalekite king when he was told to. Samuel the prophet had to do it because Saul was in rebellion. He didn't obey God. And we find that Esther in the book of Esther in chapter 3, there is a dark sinister figure called Haman who is an Agagite. That's, if you like, a, a name for the kings of Amalek. It's like Pharaoh is a name for all the kings of Egypt. The kings of Amalek were known as Agag. It was like a dynastic name, a dynasty name. And Haman has this plot to wipe out all the Jews. All the Jews. And one young woman is told that she is in contact with the king as one of his wives for such a time as this. Do you know what? On a good day, I know I am called to this church for such a time as this. Can I ask you something, though? Those of you who said you're praying, please keep doing it. Because the most important thing that I can do is hold up God so that just as Moses held up the staff of God and represented the very presence and the power of God on that hill, as they look to Moses, as he was standing and lifting up God high, the battle went their way and the victory was eventually theirs. You see, those Amalekites were so evil 
that when there were the old, the infirmed, the children, the weary, the worn out on the journey, like a prowling lioness, a prowling lion, they picked off the stragglers of the Israelites. Are you with me? Oh, that, that brings a scripture to mind. Let's go from the Apostle Paul who says our battle's not with flesh and blood but with powers and principalities to the Apostle Peter who in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, be controlled and alert, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's just what the Amalekites do, isn't it? Prowled around like a lioness who does most of the hunting. The lion, the male lions just sit there and have sex and produce cubs. Okay? Whatever I do now, I must not make any further comment. But it's the lionesses that do the hunting. And what, what Peter is doing here is saying that the devil is like a prowling lion. He's like those Amalekites who pick off the stragglers, the weak and the young, just as lionesses do when they're hunting. Joshua still had to fight, but our victory is in the Lord who is our banner. Let, let me go back to the Apostle Paul just for a moment. Romans chapter 8. If you know this, join in with me, because you might know it. I'm going from Romans 8, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Say it again. In all these things, <laughs> we are more than conquerors. I'll read on for us. Through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, not even the devil himself, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm sorry that there's going to be some really good news in a minute, but here's the bad news. You're in a battle. You're in a battle. You know that? I don't, I don't just mean those of you who have a leader. You're in a battle. Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That includes you and me. That's the bad news. The good news is God has given us armour that we can put on and we can take our stand just as Moses took his stand, just as Joshua on the battlefield took his stand. You and I can take our stand because you are more than conquerors through him who loved you and nothing can separate you from God's love. His banner over you is love. The bad news is we're in a fight. Even the most basic prayer that Jesus taught the disciples, not only prays, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread, the manna, the quail. Give us the water from the rock. Give us the water that is sweet. Give us everything we need. But at the end of that prayer, what do we pray? Deliver us from, deliver us from evil. Or better translation, deliver us from the evil one. He will try and steal your faith. He'll try and steal your soul. He will try and force you into backsliding. He'll try and corrupt the understanding of the word of God that you have. Our victory, however, is in the Lord who is our banner. And in Song of Songs, chapter 2 and verse 4, and it's interesting, we've got flowers from a wedding because this is a language of love, including erotic love, eros love. It's a language of marriage between a man and a wife. It's a language of that love. And it says, he brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done. As Moses lifted up that staff which spoke of the presence of God, as he lifted up that banner, the victory was theirs. 
Moses erected an altar. It doesn't matter that the altar is called Yahweh Nisi because it's named after the Lord who declares himself to be the banner, the staff that represented him. But you know, every week of this series we've come to Jesus. Every week at this series we've looked at another fulfillment in the name of Yahweh the Lord in Jesus the Lord. And I want to say this, Jesus is our banner. He's a banner of love over us. Uh, and I just want to thank God for the revelation he's given me here. Uh, you might have had this revelation. I never had it before this week. But I just want to go to the prophecy of Isaiah briefly. And then I want to go to the very words of Jesus himself. But listen to the prophet Isaiah telling about the one who's to come, the Christ, the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus. In Isaiah 11, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. This is talking about the Messiah being the descendant of David and the descendant of Jesse. A Messiah is coming forth from this line of Jews who the Lord has protected against Amalekites and the devil himself. Are you with me? It's not a coincidence that Adolf Hitler had a solution that we know was a holocaust when he tried to wipe out Jewish people. There's evil against Jewish people. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Not that they always don't do evil themselves. It goes on in Isaiah to say, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is Jesus. And if you slip down in that chapter to verse 10, thank you for this revelation, Father. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. In that day, the root of Jesse, so this Messiah, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. Not just the Jews, not just the Israelites. God loves every nation. Are you with me? That's why we send missionaries. That's why some of you have gone onto the mission field because God loves every nation. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired and I get weary. I'm glad that some of you said, we're praying for you, Pastor. Please keep doing that. Please keep doing that. But I can always remind myself of this. This is what Jesus said in John 12 and verse 32. This is my last scripture of many. Jesus said in John 12, 32, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He's speaking about his crucifixion. Jesus, or Yeshua, Joshua in the Hebrew, which means the Lord saves. When he is lifted up, he will save. He will draw all people to him. And when he's lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to himself. If there's any Amalekite ancestors left, he'll draw them. He'll draw Jews. He'll draw Gentiles. He'll draw all people. The verse that came before that, verse 31 in John, chapter 12, is this. Now is the time for judgment to come on the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The devil is the prince of this world. Jesus came to destroy his work. It cost him everything. Three days later, hallelujah, he was resurrected. Can I come back to the question? Because here's a revelation for you. What is the banner over you today? What was the banner over you when you came in? Was it discouragement? Was it disillusionment? Was it fatigue? Was it weariness? Or was it joy like Rebecca and Mark? Was it beauty? Was it excitement? Whatever it was, let me tell you that this is a banner that's over you. Okay? 
His banner over you is love. His banner over you, Yahweh Nisi, is about his power and his presence, which is made manifest through the Lord Jesus Christ, who was lifted up because he loved you so much that he died on that cross, that he defeated Satan on that cross. And in your life this week, this month, this year, in all the years ahead, if you've put your trust in Jesus, if you've come to him, if you've received his spirit, he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My banner over you is love. Would you stand with me? We are one team, church. Whatever we understand, however we read his word, we have to be faithful to our revelation. We have to press on in it. You can expect me to do that. That's what you called me to do. But we are one team, as Beth reminded us. And the banner over us is one banner, the name of Jesus. Let's come to our Father through him now. Father, you know every man and every woman and every young person here. And you know the, the joys they have and the battles they face. You know them and you love them. There's not a single man or woman here that you don't love. And the banner that they feel is over them this morning might not be the joy and love and excitement and beauty that was a banner over Becky and Mark yesterday. The banner for some people might be indeed a banner of fear and disillusionment or maybe even addiction. But Lord, you are the God who delivers us and sets us free. You're the God who loves us. And your banner over us, Yahweh Nisi, is the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross and his sacrifice. So help us to understand this. Help us to believe this. Help us to look to him as Joshua and the army looked to Moses holding the staff, the banner in his hands. And help us to re be reminded that you are all powerful, that you are all loving. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.